0: Today we're going to be talking about the transgression of Sodom and Gomorrah. Now I chose the word transgression specifically because uh, I recently was just refreshed on the difference between what a sin is and what a transgression is. That being that sin, as we know, means to fall short or to miss the mark. But a transgression means to take something too far. So I felt that it was appropriate for the nature of sin to committed by Sodom and Gomorrah, that it would be appropriate to call it a transgression, meaning they had gone too far. And we can avoid going too far with any particular sinful lifestyle by reading our Bibles, following God's Word, and being obedient to His call in our lives. Furthermore, the Babylon Bee happened to come out with an article not too long ago called Lesser Known Benefits Reading Your Bible. Specifically, it's called 12 lesser-known benefits to reading of reading your Bible. I'm going to detail about eight of them for you, though. Number one, You can find authoritative, irrefutable, profitable instruction from the benevolent, all-powerful, never-ending creator of the universe. So that's pretty straightforward. We can kind of guess that that's what we get out of reading the Bible. Number two, Big, strong, ripped biceps. So, not quite necessarily true, but we'll go with it for right now. Number three, Veggie Tales will make more sense to you. Number four, you will see the parts that were inspired by The Lord of the Rings. Number five, you can finally read all the cool stuff Joel Osteen left out of his books. Number six, you'll finally find out if the Israelites ever made it out of Egypt. Number seven, the Bible has more violence in it than Game of Thrones. Number eight, reading the Bible is cheaper than therapy. So there are parts in the Bible that are pretty rough, and that's because it is documenting real, unfiltered events. Jude 7 says, Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding towns gave themselves up to sexual immorality and perversion. They serve as an example of those who suffer the punishment of eternal fire. Jude was warning the church about false teachers who would lead them astray. And you might be asking yourself right now, how does Sodom and Gomorrah relate? Well, the first example that Jude gave inside of this chapter was where leaders arose to rebel against Moses as he was leading the Israelites. Well, God destroyed them. The second example Jude gave was when the angels rebelled against God by coming down from their heavenly dwelling place and taking for themselves human wives. God bound them in everlasting chains. And the Bible notes pretty early on that Sodom and Gomorrah were wicked cities. So why is this an example of false teachers who led people astray? Might I propose it's because They used to be prosperous as cities. And prosperous cities and prosperous nations are built upon a virtuous culture. Take a look at any big city here in America. New York City, Detroit, Chicago, Los Angeles. These these cities experienced times of greatness until they fell. For instance, Detroit used to be considered the greatest city in America. What happened? It fell, and it fell hard, because they abandoned the virtues that made them great. And this is what I envision of Sodom and Gomorrah. Jude wrote that Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding towns gave themselves up to sexual immorality and perversion. Now, instead of the context of Genesis, where the story of the destruction of these cities is found, we're only given glimpses of what their evil looked like. And the only reason we even know about this story is because Lot, who was the nephew of Abraham, happened to be living there at the time that God brought judgment. Lot decided to move to Sodom after his flocks and his servants had become too numerous and he could no longer coexist with the flocks and servants of Abraham. So he decided to move to Sodom. Then God informed Abraham that he was going to bring judgment against these cities. And Abraham pleaded for the life of his nephew Lot. God sent out angels to retrieve Lot and his family and it did not take long for these angels to experience the wickedness of the city's residents. The angels came to Lot. And Lot, not knowing that they were angels or there to rescue him, offered him shelter, offered them shelter inside of his home because the town square was way too difficult for visitors. So we know that Lot was a good man and he actually feared for the well-being of his guests But right before bedtime, the townspeople came to his door and demanded that he send his visitors out to them. To put it bluntly, the townspeople wanted to rape his visitors. Quick pause. That's harsh. We don't even like hearing that, or that word. In fact, one of my pet peeves, though, is that we often think that the sin of Sodom and Gomorrah was merely homosexuality. Yes, that was a sin of Sodom and Gomorrah, that was a sin of theirs, and yes, I am indeed calling that a sin, but even Lot got confused into thinking that the only evil being committed was this unnatural request by these men to have other men. The culture he lived in was so twisted and depraved, that he thought that the remedy for their wickedness was to send his daughters out to this ravenous and insane crowd. Now, we can call him crazy or wicked, but I've heard of this thing called Drag Queen Story Hour. Have you ever heard of Drag Queen Story Hour? Or what about the family-friendly family friendly Drag show? Or what about this movie that they call Cuties? Now, these are sick and twi- twisted practices in our culture that are used to make children more vulnerable to depravity. Why is it when society goes astray that it's always the children who have to suffer first? And God help us if we allow the boundaries to be pushed any further here in America. No, it wasn't merely that the people in Sodom were homosexuals. Their depravity had gone so far that sexuality was no longer a gift given to them to express their love to their spouse. They had weaponized their drive to humiliate, pacify, and even kill anyone they pleased. But it all started somewhere. I imagine a time when these cities were prosperous, strong, and overflowing with abundance. Then one day, someone said, This is the freest city in all of Canaan. Why should I not be allowed to have more than one wife? Why should I not be allowed to marry someone of the same sex? Why should I have to restrain any of my urges at all? After all, aren't they natural? After all, are they not natural? from God, that day, that day that they said those things in and Gomorrah, was probably embraced as a day of freedom and liberty, a a day where they were filled with pride, and in their minds, they would never take it too far. They only only wanted everyone to be happy, dignified, and shame-free. Now, I hope you see where I'm going with this. A false teacher had slipped in. And before they knew it, they had gone too far. No one was happy or dignified, but I guarantee you this, they learned how to live without shame. All that was left of their communities were angry mobs patrolling the streets, seeking a victim of whom they could devour. And nobody dared oppose these mobs, Opposing such a force would ensure the fate of whoever it was that would stand up and say, Enough is enough. What's our takeaway from this? We cannot allow our culture to create the boundaries when it comes to good and evil. Jude 8 says, On the strength of their dreams, these ungodly people pollute their own bodies, reject authority, and heap abuse. On celestial beings. So when man is allowed to draw the boundaries. There are no boundaries. Today. 70% of, of Americans identify themselves as Christians. And that sounds like good news, right? Bad news. Only 6% of that 70% have a biblical world view. How has this happened? Well, instead of reading the Bible, we have reduced the Bible down to the simple catchphrase of God is love. And without God's word, we don't even understand what his love truly is. And it doesn't take a historian to figure out why Sodom and Gomorrah became so depraved. We have the very same justifications for depravity popping up in our culture. We say, love is love. We say, love knows no boundaries. We say, be yourself. So what are we really saying with these slogans? What do these slogans really mean? Well, love is love actually means promiscuity is okay and should not be discriminant. That's what love is love means. What does it mean to... Love knows no boundaries. Well, it means given to temptation without discretion. And what does be yourself mean? Well, it means you are perfect the way you are. It might sound good, but it's contrary to God's word. What does a biblical worldview tell us? Well, first of all, it tells us who God is. He is first and foremost the creator. He makes the rules. Therefore, he is the judge. And it tells us that there are different types of love. You can love your spouse and you can love pizza. And these loves, how you love your spouse and how you love pizza, are different to you, I hope. Also, we learn that romantic love is different from the selfless, godly love that we are called to have for all of humanity. The world doesn't even make a distinction between godly love and making love. A biblical worldview tells us that we might have a hard time against temptations of all sorts. Jesus commanded his disciples to take up their cross daily. James wrote, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Now, of course it's difficult, but it's good. A biblical worldview reveals that Jesus practiced what he preached. He proved his love for us by denying himself, dying on a cross, and forgiving our sins. A biblical worldview tells us that we must repent, and believe in Jesus. God does not tolerate sin. A day of judgment is coming. And if it were not for Jesus, everyone would be found guilty. God revealed to Abraham that Sodom and Gomorrah were beyond saving. And yet these cities never saw God's wrath coming until it was too late. Let us remember the words of the Apostle Paul, as written in 2 Corinthians 6, 1 and 2. As God's co-workers, we urge you not to receive God's grace in vain, for he says, In the time of my favor I heard you, and in the day of salvation I helped you. I tell you, now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. I'd like to thank you for joining me for today's sermon. My name is Bill Sang from Faith Presbyterian Church. You can join us at our services at 10.30 in the morning at Faith Presbyterian Church on Sundays. Please don't forget to like, share, and subscribe.